0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg.
1: Let's bring in Michael Purvis, shall we? Whedon chief global strategist. He joins us on the phone. Good morning to you, Mr. Purvis. Mike, what are you telling clients this week?
2: Well, I think you have to stand back for a second and take stock of the fact that Trump has never had a stronger hand in which to go at China with, right? He's got uh, very stable approval ratings. He's got a market that uh, just a week and a half ago was at fresh highs. Um, he has also, very importantly, you know, six months ago, he didn't have the Powell put, and now he does, and he can leverage that, right? So it's an asset that he that, that Trump can leverage for his policy goals, um, and, and, arguably, his political goals of, of really trying to come away with a, with a, with a real deal on China. So, yeah. so I think the, the narrative going into this a week ago was that oh, this is just a couple more tweets here and some of the usual back and forth, and we're on this sort of slow but steady resolution to trade. I think you have to take uh, you know just step back and realize that if Trump is going to push this hard, uh, now's the time, and you know 2020 is still far away. So can. You have to ask yourself the question, can Trump afford a 6% drop in the market and a mix that stays in the 20s for a few weeks or maybe even higher? I would suggest to you that he can.
1: Well, let's talk about that. The three areas of potential policy support that I hear so much from so many people on programs like this, three puts, the Powell put, the Trump put, the Xi put, the Powell put effectively being that the Fed will be reactive to tighter financial conditions, the Trump put effectively being that he has market-sensitive policy preferences, and the Xi put essentially being that she and China is willing to offset risks with more stimulus. Are there reasons to doubt the deployment and or the effectiveness of all three of them?
2: Well you know I, I think to a certain degree you can you can almost think that Trump might be for the moment sort of collaring the market you know um, uh, where there is some sort of trump 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 uh put here. Um, the question is is we don't really know the Chinese reaction function. I think the working narrative or assumption is is that, hey, you know we've got the stronger hand, so it's just you know, you know, if, if it, if everything is within our control. We don't really necessarily yeah. know that. We don't know what 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 China Inc.'s own internal um, situation right. really is. How that's really going to unravel there. So I think it's a little bit of a of, of a, you can't necessarily assume the Trump put is is absolutely there because we don't know the chinese reaction function
0: what are you doing on this monday morning are you deploying capital to speculation or investment or are you under the purvis desk
2: Uh, (laughs) i you know you were just making a point about you're not seeing the correlations across asset classes really come together and that's absolutely true you started to see some things pick up you saw Certainly, the Chinese currency balls pick up. Yep, See that yep. spill over to the DM currency balls. You're not seeing that, but again, we're just you know we're just we just started with the equity move here. But the, the the theme I really think is uh, I, I've been advocating is that credit spreads have yet to back up, but that that's a replay of what happened in October. Equity led. It's a oh, little bit unusual. Usually, credit leads. So yeah. I think if you're looking I, I think there's gonna be more risk yeah, but, coming here. What, well, John and, John,
0: jump in here. This is Michael, this is really important. Credit spreads have not backed up and I know we're weeks away from the next episode of the real yield. John, the bond market is pricing economic slowdown this morning. Forget about
1: spreads. Well, let's, it's draw about distinction. GDP. let's draw a distinction between the bond market you're talking about and the and the high yield market. The sovereign debt market, treasuries, yes, yields lower at the front end in the way that they are, suggesting that we have a a market that is still believing that the next move could well be a rate cut. The credit market, Tom, we had a great week of wish, of issuance last week for investment grade and high yields, and it was all sucked up and taken away pretty well. Spreads are wider, yes, but I don't think the credit market is priced for a material slowdown just yet. I don't see that, Michael. Do you?
2: No, and that, you know I, I think if you go back to the narrative in October, November. The framework back then was that credit wasn't really seeing a big economic slowdown. It was really sort of what happened was that there was a re-rating of the equity risk premium, and then that persisted. Um, and, And all of a sudden, then there was pan risk off into November, December. Then, you know, that's when the credit spread, the high yield spread started backing up. That's why I'm saying right now, if you're looking for hedging, you know, with the VIX is where we're with where it's at, right? You can find cheaper hedging by simply taking a view that, you know, you can buy puts, for example, on the HYG ETF that that tracks the high yield universe. Um, at, which is where that ball is cheap, and, the, and yeah. that has moved a little bit, but not that much. I just think if there's more risk off coming, it will spread and you will see that cross asset correlation spike. Final question, if let's I talk about
1: do. regions globally. There is a belief, quite widely held, that the hierarchy of vulnerability, globally speaking, is China first, then Europe EM, and then the United States. The United States being the most, relatively so, insulated to the trade story. That was the 2018 playbook. Is 2019 any different?
2: Um it's a very fair question. Look, I and, and you we're talking economics not markets here, right? Well we're talking so, both
1: consequentially.
2: Uh, okay. Well, I, you know, just you know, e- economically I it, it, that would seem to be the right narrative there. I do think that there's a there's a real case though that the, you know, Europe as the uh, uh sort of this this uh spillover effect onto these China US focused trade that's that is very very significant here so I'm not sure how much of a distinction you yeah. draw between China and and Europe right now in terms of economic sensitivity there I would certainly on the market side I do think that the US equity market is certainly going to be among the most vulnerable only because we you know we've added on two PE points since uh, since December and we've had record valuations relative valuations for example right. the tech sector relative to the SDX and so forth
0: Michael right. got, so got, that We have to leave it there with the the market valuation and negative 37 on the Dow. Michael Purvis uh, with Weedon this morning. John, you got a plan, you got a script with Stephen Roach, and
1: then you've got tweets. What happened? You just rip up the script. Another tweet storm. Yeah. Can you tweet, Professor?
3: I can, but I don't.
1: Well, you should. Why? Come on, we'd love Why? to hear from Why? you. No. We would love to hear from, from, from Professor Stephen Roach on Twitter. Come on. Of Yale, he joined us in the studio. Great to see you, Great Professor. To see you, John. The President's saying the following There is no reason for the US consumer to pay the tariffs which take effect on China today. This has been proven recently when only four points were paid by the US, 21 points by China, because China subsidizes product to such a large degree. We've, of course, got to draw a distinction between who pays the tariff and who absorbs the higher cost. I mean, by definition, the importer pays the tariff, but who absorbs the higher cost? Far more nuanced, wouldn't you say, Professor?
3: Not not nearly as nuanced as the president is trying to obfuscate and have you believe. You said it, Jonathan. Tariffs are a tax on importers. We are the importers. China is the exporter. Uh, and, um, you know, ultimately, if um, uh, if there's diversion of trade away from China for a saving short U.S. Uh, economy, uh, those costs will go up because we'll be importing from higher-cost nations other than China. Uh, and and so the, the president's got it, it completely wrong in terms of the impact of um,
1: uh, tariffs on U.S. businesses and consumers. Well, at the beginning, you can target products with high availability of substitutes. You can target products that have high elasticity of demand it puts the onus then on the exporter to absorb the cost there has been several research reports that suggest that has been the case in the early part of the trade dispute
3: i don't know what kind of research you're reading i've seen two studies on the impact of uh, trump's tariffs put out by um, uh, all-star casts of economists and they've concluded that literally 100 percent of the president's tariffs have been borne by, the cost of which have been borne by U.S. businesses and U.S. consumers. Oh, that's fundamentally None have been wrong. I mean, I
1: can give you one research report right now. Um, EconPol Europe, network of researchers in the European Union, uh, they essentially say that 4.5% have been paid by U.S. consumers of the 25% tariff, 20.5% Chinese producers.
3: Um, with all due respect, it's wrong i don't know where you get your research from i've just read the paper to you okay well I, i've got one out there too i'll bring it in and one we can do. compare I, papers. we'd, we'd yeah. love to look at it yeah
0: sure i look at the partial differentials of all this and to me steve roach it's like moving from the x y space you're at yale university you're teaching and the adults are in the xyz space they're in a three-dimensional space <laughs> What is all the punditry missing here? What are we missing about the complexity and richness of this? William Klein, who I adore, uh, Peterson Institute would say the leakages, the adjacencies here are off the chart, and nobody's talking about them.
3: Look, Tom, that, that's a deep and important question. But but the um, you know the the issue here is um, uh, I think um, you know what. there's a perception that America is strong and we've been um, egregiously damaged by China for generations. And so at this moment of great strength, uh, we need to put them in in their place. And it it absolutely allows for no possibility that this is a two-way relationship that, yes, China relies on us, but we also rely on China. And so when we take actions against somebody that we rely on, there are consequences. China has yet uh, to um, uh, respond to the uh, increase in U.S. tariffs. I can assure you, they're going to, uh, and those responses will bear critically right. on our companies. Who's our biggest exporter, Tom? The company? It, it's it's Boeing. Boeing is under a lot of pressure for other reasons. Do you think Boeing is going to get a uh, you know a free pass in in this next round of? Um, uh, of, what do a, they a do with pressures? Apple?
0: Very quickly here, if Apple's a big exporter or at least a prestigious exporter. In Apple all that, doesn't I get mean, a free pass either. No one yeah. gets a free pass. I mean, whiskey from McConnell's Kentucky doesn't get a free pass. We all get that. But what no, about Apple?
3: They won't get a free pass. Um, it's, it's ludicrous to think that big companies who account for a large portion of the bilateral trade flows between these two countries all of a sudden yeah. uh, uh, get exa- well, you know, uh, dispensation.
0: I, I know you've got to go. We're going to run out of time here. How's the grade inflation at Yale? Are you giving out enough C's? You know,
3: you know, we have we uh, we a have, we have, uh, good balance in our student oh, body. Balance. And, you know, not all <laughs> students get, you know, the top grade that they aspire to. Really? I just turned in my grades on Friday. And, you know, most of them, it was a small seminar, did extremely well. You know? Some of them did less well.
0: Very good. Stephen Roach, thank you so much. Yale University on an important day. We're thrilled that thank you could you, be professor. with us. Uh, this is an immense joy uh, to have Keo Jin with us, who's with the London School of Economics and has just an exceptional perspective on China, the US. We do this with futures at negative 40. Dow futures negative three thirty five, and professor, what I want to do is go to uh, seven names: Zhi, Li, another Li, a Wang, a Wang, a Zhao, and a Han. That is the Chinese Communist Party committee that the trade delegation has to go home to in Beijing. How do they distill or respond to what they
4: observed in Washington? Um, well, first of all, uh, they have uh, the Chinese people uh, to, to face, uh, not just the top leadership. Um, the Chinese people uh, still want uh, the Chinese government to stay strong against uh, the u s um, kind of demands. Uh, the u s tension trade tensions have caused a rise in the surge in nationalism in China, yeah. and the argument is also that if we if the Chinese cave in this time around, what 's going to happen next? they'll be in a worse position in the future.
0: Well, with the market's down in priced. Down. And with the correlations that we're beginning to see, uh, the two year yield in five basis points, how does an international relations expert like you correlate all this politics into market moves?
4: Uh, there are various forces, at least uh, inside the Chinese economy, uh, that is contributing to the, to the, the market reactions. Um, not only the uncertainty that has been brought about by trade war, of course, the direct, direct effects of the trade war has yet to be seen, but certainly uncertainty has caused uh, much panic. But there is also a slowdown of the Chinese economy that has nothing to do with the trade war, and in particular, more has to do with the deleveraging process. And in general, Policy uncertainty, how the Chinese businesses, the private entrepreneurs yeah. will be treated. These are all confounding elements.
1: Just looking at the moves in the pre market, so i am got to bring up Uber down 5%. Yeah. Red headline just across the Bloomberg terminal down 5%. And in down the
0: 12% from that 45 million. Yeah, we're going to try and
1: talk about this a little Wait. bit later. Woo-hoo! Not great, eh? (laughs) Futures, futures, negative 40 points on the S&P down by 1.42%. Excuse me, Professor. I will come back in with a trade-related question for you. We will avoid the Uber conversation. A lot of people are looking for China's next move, both in terms of retaliation and in terms of the next move on stimulus. You've touched on that just a little bit. Talk to me about how limited the appetite is of the current government to actually reach for a full-scale, large-scale stimulus in a way that they had done in years previously. Why that's not happening this time around.
4: The large stimulus in the past have created these huge credit expansions and credit cycles that's causing a lot of the macroeconomic woes that we're observing today. So they want to avoid uh, overusing this kind of policies Um, and of course we still have bubbles uh, looming uh, in the Chinese background in the economic background Um, but uh, in terms of uh, trade tensions they of course want to seek a solution but on the other hand they probably don't want to have a reach of full Solution so that they can still continue uh, the arguments with the U.S. because if the trade gets resolved, what's next? Yeah. Those are more intractable problems for China to deal with.
0: Professor, uh, I brought this up with Steve Roach. It's one of the great books of the, the giant Jonathan Spence of Yale University, The Khan's Great Continent China in the Western Mind. Is the thought process of modern Chinese leaders? Anywhere remotely near to China 1990, China 1980, you know, obviously not China 1950, but is this a modern set of leaders that we're possibly going to miscalculate on?
4: The modern set of leaders that we're thinking about will be the next uh, generation of leaders, possibly the one that will succeed President Xi. Okay. And indeed, he will leave his term, don't, don't you worry. Um, but uh, there is a lot of similarity still in terms of the paternalism in the system, the the stability, the kind of organization, the discipline, the outward view. And I would say that with President Xi, uh, there is definitely a stronger Chinese uh, kind of uh, stance that China, China is somehow not really going to fit in some global existing order, but possibly shaping it. And that's one big difference we've seen with President okay. compared to the past two leaders. Well,
0: then let's get you out of the ivory tower and, and, and into market tactics. What would you expect, given what you just said, is they, quote, unquote, retaliate or not?
4: they will, I, I suspect they will do some form of retaliation, if not fully symmetric or full scale, uh, because that's uh, not realistic, but they will have to respond, yes.
1: Professor, just a final question for you. Your base case for retaliation from the Chinese, we still wait, the market's still nervously looking to see what it will be. You can't have accurate tit for tat, of course, because China only imports so much from the United States versus what the United States imports from China. So what kind of scale are you looking for in terms of the retaliation?
4: I think they will still go for narrow um, industries um, and agriculture and those uh, that will hurt the states that are political support base for President Trump. But it's really hard to uh, say.
0: Professor, thank you so much. Kea Jin with us with a lot of moving news this morning. She is at the London School of Economics. Professor, we really look forward to seeing you at Queen Victoria Street uh, here uh, soon. This is the interview of the day on trade. A book came out a number of years ago, 258 pages. It's a Council on Foreign Relations book and it's one of those books you hate because it's so intelligent so densely intelligently written that the 258 pages feels like 400 but it's worth plowing through because it makes us so smart about the president's America and all of our America. Edward Alden The book is Failure to Adjust How Americans Got Left Behind in the Global Economy. It was one of my books of the summer a few years ago. Ted Alden, if you sat down with the President of the United States and you handed him a brief summary of failure to adjust, what would you tell President Trump?
5: well i'd tell him that the united states made a lot of mistakes in the first era of globalization and his job is to make sure we don't make a whole new series of mistakes in the era that we're in right now and i'm afraid that's exactly what he's doing uh hopefully hopefully he'd he'd pay attention long enough for me to say that let us
0: go to the theory and get it out of the way first glib tv radio people like me can say it's mercantilism. The president's defenders would say China's been cheating for years. Is it one? The other? Is it both?
5: I think it's both. I mean, I think the president's approach is clearly mercantilist, but the Chinese have been a mercantilist power for decades now, and... The constraints of the WTO in a variety of ways proved inadequate. I really think we didn't use the system as fully as we should have. But the president's complaints about China are legitimate. The concern is over the tactics, and that's obviously what the markets in the world are are concerned over. I don't think anybody's arguing over the the diagnosis. It's the prescription that's the problem.
6: So, Ted, just specifically about the the most recent round of negotiations, what do you think went wrong that derailed the momentum that seemed to be building up until maybe a week or two ago?
5: Well, I mean, I, I, I'm relying on the reporting here like everyone else, but I, I think it's clear that, that the Chinese backslided on some issues. I mean, the Chinese are tough negotiators, right? They're, they're going to give as little as they can get away with. I think they thought they were in a stronger position than they were. What surprised me a little bit was the ferocity of the, the president's reaction to move so quickly to impose additional tariffs, and then we've got another round that's going to be announced possibly today, certainly sometime this week the issues are huge and i think anyone who believed there was going to be an easy deal was not paying attention but i certainly expected we would get you know some kind of preliminary accord and then we'd see where it went next but but things obviously were, look a lot worse right at the moment
6: all right so china has uh reacted with uh its set of tariffs on the some remaining goods what do you think china will do next
5: well, I mean, China, as it actually has throughout this conflict, is behaving pretty cautiously. I mean, this is a retaliation that certainly doesn't come close to matching the dollar value of the, of the U.S. tariffs. They're delaying imposition until June 1, and even then they're following the U.S. lead and saying it's goods in transit. So that's another couple weeks for ocean-going goods. So I, I think the hope is that maybe when the president and Xi Jinping meet for the G20 summit in Japan – that, that they can call a halt to this. So I think there's, there's still uh, some room to play out the negotiations. The Chinese have been remarkably constrained in terms of their reaction. But as you know, these things can change quickly, right? If they reach a conclusion that there's no deal to be had we could see things ramp up pretty rapidly.
0: Ted Alden with us. The book is Failure to Adjust. We are going to continue. I need to do a data check. Down we go in the opening with a very nice bid to the market, and we're retesting that. Right now we are negative 480. Now we're negative 520 on the Dow. 59 S&P points down, and the VIX was under 20 now back above 20, showing that new angst in the market. What am I watching most closely? We are now at lows in yield for the two-year today, 2.5 point one eight eight four well under two point one nine percent i'm looking for a retest of yen we're almost there paul sweeney on a 10909 yen so a new retest to this market at 953
6: wall street time thanks so ted just i mean one of the things i think the market was looking for you know really over the last several months is maybe just some type of headline deal is that still on the table it seems like it's certainly in both sides' best interest, but even a minimalist-type deal, do you think that is still a near-term opportunity? I mean, I think there's still a
5: possibility. The reality yeah. of trade negotiations like this is that they always go right to the edge of the cliff, and there's always these heart-stopping moments. And so I think we were never going to get a deal unless something like this happened. It's just very hard yeah. to predict with this administration because Trump likes tariffs, and he's made it very right. clear that he's happy with the tariffs. And so I, I okay. think that— Make it difficult.
0: I, Ted, I don't want to interrupt, but we just got a headline out, which is why we've come down. China to raise tariffs on imports of U.S. rare earths to 25%. We're with Ted Alden of of CFR, which is wonderful. What is a U.S. rare earth?
5: Our, as, I, as, far as, I, as far as I know, and you guys can check quickly on your terminals, U.S. production of rare earths is very small. I mean, China is by far... The world's largest rare earth producer there are mines, I think, in Vietnam, a couple of places in Southeast Asia. The U.S. is trying to get its capacity back in response to a Chinese export ban on rare earth some years ago that we actually challenged successfully in the WTO. That was one of the places where the WTO worked, uh, the United States, Japan, and other countries took china to the wto said wto okay bid export bans and china relented but so had, i'm puzzled by that one. we had
0: 2000 i'm puzzled, well, we're puzzled by everything right now ted holden there's 2400 <laughs> products what's the banner headline across the bloomberg that you're going to wait for which product obviously soybeans but which product matters to you within the obscure stuff of trade
5: Well, I mean, you know, if you're looking at the U.S. action, obviously the next round is going to cover smartphones, right? If we go to the whole of Chinese trade, it's going to hit Apple, and that's going to have a major impact, even if it takes a while to be put in place. And from the Chinese end, the big shoe that hasn't dropped is U.S. aerospace exports. I'm out here in Washington State. Boeing is very important to the economy out here. That's a big shoe that that hasn't dropped yet. So so those are the ones I'm going to be watching.
6: Yeah, you mentioned Apple. That stock is is down five percent today. So uh, entering in correction territory uh, for that one. So, Ted, it seems like you know both sides again are incented to get a deal done. Is, do you have a sense of who will blink first?
5: Well, I mean, I, I think that the Chinese are in the short run, at least in the weaker position. I think they would not have been so conciliatory, sending Liu Hei to Washington last week, uh, responding on a delayed timetable with its own tariffs. The Chinese very much want a deal, but there's certainly a limit as to how far the United States can can push. Uh, There are big dangers, and the Wall Street Journal was very good on that, I think, over the weekend, big dangers of miscalculation that each side thinks it's in a stronger position than it actually is. And, and so even though I do believe China is in the weaker position, it doesn't mean that the Trump administration can continue to push and push and push yeah. with the faith that China will always respond favorably. At some point it will say yeah. no, and then and then things will really take a tumble.
0: Ted, I've got another hour of questions. We'll have to do that later. Ted Alden, uh, coming to us from the West Coast this morning, we greatly thank his attention with the Council on Foreign Relations